Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative commentator Mark Vargas and Democratic activist Patrick Hanley. A little bit later on the program, we'll be joined by attorney Judith Sherwin and our program coming to you tonight from the studios of AM560. The answer here in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open for the full two hours, 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 on this uh, uh, Christmas week. Nice to have you with us. And uh, uh, I I can make a prediction now that based on this morning's appearance uh, on Fox News Sunday by Joe Manchin, he will not be invited to the White House Christmas party if there's going to be one. Because he he stuck it uh, to the president. There's already the, the White House has already spent most of the day today trashing Joe Manchin and saying that he backed away from promises that had been made directly to the president of the United States this past week. It'll be a continuing story uh, for the next uh, several days. Uh, but clearly, uh, Joe Manchin has done what everyone suspected that he was probably going to do at the end. Uh, he got his way, and uh, a lot of Democrats are really ticked off at uh, uh, Joe Manchin tonight. Uh, Mark Vargas, I want to begin with you because you're you're sort of our Republican operative tonight. Um, is Obviously, this is a big win for Republicans. Do they have to do something on their own, by themselves, in 2022? Or they can they continue to just sort of wait on the sidelines and let uh, the Democratic firing squad continue? Well, first of all, Bruce, thanks for having me on. And it, that's a great question. And, you know, I've served under two presidential administrations and I was mm-hmm. an advisor to a third, both Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. Let me just say this from the very beginning. I don't wish for a president's legislative agenda to go down in flames because I think it hurts everybody. I may not necessarily agree with what's, what's all in the legislation, but mm-hmm. some of it I think is good. Uh, but this is a, a, a bad day for the Biden administration. His entire legislative agenda has gone up in flames. He campaigned on normalcy is coming back and his expertise in the Senate. But I think this is going to be huge for Republicans going into the midterm elections. Democrats obviously are going to be limping uh, into the midterms for a variety of reasons, notwithstanding the legislative failures uh, that they control but both Repu- House and Senate. But you Senate. don't think Republicans have to do much of a positive nature. They can just kind of warm their hands as they watch the Democratic bonfire. Yeah, this was a gift. This yeah. was a gift. <laughs> Patrick Hanley, you're the Democrat. Uh, you were nodding a little bit with what uh, Mark had to say. Uh, is this a really bad day for Joe Biden? Well, first, I'd just say that, you know, for the Republicans to do something positive ever would be a big surprise. Um, yeah, it's a bad day. It's a bad day for the president. But I've got to say, this isn't his entire legislative agenda. Of course, he passed $1.2 trillion in, you know, decades-long needed infrastructure spending, which is going to start going out the door uh, this coming year. Uh, he tapped Mitch Landrieu, the very successful mayor of New Orleans, to lead that effort. So I'm excited to see investments in roads, bridges, airports. Uh, and then sec- should there have been quick question? Should there have been a longer time when the Biden administration could just uh, sort of bask in the glow mm. of all these millions, tens of millions going out? In other words, did yeah. they move to the other point? of the debate too quickly and mm. they, they lost the glow. Well, let's remember that we weren't going to get the infrastructure plan without the support of the Progressive Caucus. 
uh, that was a key voting block that got us across the finish line. And so these two bills needed to be negotiated in tandem. Uh, one came across and the other still hasn't. That said, I think wrapped up in the Build Back Better plan are a number of incredibly popular policies that are now on the ballot. Uh, and so, yeah, this is a setback for the president. But frankly, if we can run on issues like lowering drug prices, like investing uh, in climate resilient policies and in electric vehicles, uh, these are the sorts of things that voters will respond to in the midterms. Mark, do you think there are things in Build Back Better that are popular, even with a lot of Republicans and independents? You know, it's a good question, but I think at the end of the day, what's really distracting the country uh, is this the pandemic. I mean, it doesn't matter what's inside the Build Back Better. This yeah. The pandemic is a gigantic uh, distraction. What's happening from a foreign policy perspective across the globe, the threats with Russia mm. and China, what's happened in Afghanistan, that's a major distraction because of the threats that are posed. So I, I think that at the end of the day, while there, while there could be some uh, things that are beneficial for all and build back better. I, I think at the end of the day, there are just so many distractions uh, going on. And the fact that you've got this this battle between the president's and vice president's office and these terrible poll numbers, his poll numbers and her poll numbers. Yeah, Patrick? I, I hear you. But I think what we what I would love to hear from our listeners and what I hear on the doors when I go knocking is uh, the price of health care is the opioid crisis is public safety or is prices, inflation. These are the things that are top of mind, not necessarily foreign policy and not necessarily uh, Washington, D.C. How do they bring that up? I mean, you say you, you, you talk to people you know, door to door or yeah. at cocktail party. And yeah. How do they bring up the subject of inflation? Oh, everybody's uh, talking about it, I think. Everybody well, what are talks they saying about, about it? Yeah, they're saying, Are they you blaming know, Biden for it? I haven't heard a lot of that, but I am a Democrat, and so people could be being polite. Uh, the reality is we, <laughs> the economy is going through a polite. massive dislocation. Uh, there was... There was uh, mismatched supply and demand from the last year and a half of an unprecedented pandemic, uh, and that's biting us in the behind right now. A lot of the infrastructure plan uh, spending, though, will go directly to that. When we spend on ports, when we spend on airports, that's going to make our economy uh, function more smoothly. you agree with that, Mark? You know, the, the issue at the ports, and I just wrote a national op-ed in Newsmax. I have my own column on Newsmax.com mm -hmm. called The Potomac Perspective. Mm -hmm. And what the real issue at the ports is outdated technology. Yeah. That we haven't, and that's not necessarily a federal government issue. That's a local issue. These ports are too small. The mm -hmm. ports are small, outdated. The ships are getting bigger and bigger with mm -hmm. more containers. With the and you, it's a perfect storm with the pandemic and a worker shortage. Yep. And so you've got this giant holding pattern. I was in Long Beach not too long ago, and I counted from the air as I took off from LAX, sixty mm -hmm. cargo ships just hovering along the coast, anchored, waiting to be unloaded. And so, again, this is not a federal government issue. This is a, a local issue. Well, what's nice is that it's become a federal issue, and this is what Democrats deliver. We are rebuilding uh, decades-old infrastructure. We're spending in critical infrastructure, and that's going to improve the national economy. This is what Democrats do when we're in power. But the irony is that restaurants and small businesses can't even find workers. I can't tell you how many small businesses cannot yeah. open. Under the democratic economy, we still can't get people to work. Under the COVID uh, and economy. And I think that's a... COVID economy. Which, which is owned now by the Democratic Party, who control both Congress... Freedoms that the Afghan people have enjoyed. If they start really going into more of a the theocracy and a very strict Islamic sort of regime, um, our Western powers going to continue to support that or not should they well i mean we we have to see you know we should support in terms of food making sure food is on the table the president but, has said that 
but but the humanitarian a... efforts on the part of the United States and the Allies appears to be firm. Yes, but I mean, an, an analogy would be, you know, what what happened with when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip mm. after Israel unilaterally pulled out in 2006. And there was all this workforce, which is immigrants. Uh, and on the third side is what we're calling the Great Resignation. Right? When we come back, I want to hear the, about the yeah. point about the, uh, the immigrants coming to the country and how they have hurt what's going on. I want to get Mark's response to that. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Back shortly. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
Chris Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for joining us tonight, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. Uh, before the break, Patrick had made a point about illegal immigration and how that is causing some legal, of the problems. Legal, Le- legal immigration. That a lot of people who would like to come to the United States are not coming to the United States. And so that's leading to those who are looking for jobs or people who need jobs. Your interpretation of that same issue, Mark? First of all, I'm, a, I'm an American of Mexican descent. Okay. I remain an informal advisor to the former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. So this border issue is critically mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no question. I'll concede the fact that we have a, there is a issue with immigration in the process. That needs to be fixed, and Republicans and Democrats have been debating about this issue for decades, mm-hmm. and no one's been able to really have real substantive reforming of the system. That being said, what's happening today in our border is a, I, I understand national security. I was in Baghdad 14 times as a civilian in combat when I worked for the Secretary of Defense. I know national security threats. What's happening at the border is a national security threat. The cartels are controlling the border, uh, and I and it's a shame that President Biden and Vice President Harris uh, have failed to really acknowledge this issue and the border process. When Jay Johnson was Secretary of Homeland Security under President Obama, he said just 1,000 illegals crossing our border is a bad day. Today, we have over 7,000 illegals crossing our border. Uh, they're holding them hostage for ransom money. There's there's women and children are being abused at their border. Uh, and so I think it's critical, not just from a national security perspective, but for our country's security, uh, that we really secure this border. Because so this what's is the issue. answer? What is the answer? Again, because you, you were... You, uh, you know, you had some big-wig friends in the in the Trump administration. That was one of his key issues. I mean, did he solve the border crisis? Well, we had less border crossings under President Trump than we did now. And, in fact, you have the president of Mexico and in Central America, the president saying that Biden has created this idea of open border policy where you've got people crossing the borders. And these are not, these are not necessarily supporters of the Trump previous administration. These are presidents right now that are talking about a failed border policy in this Biden administration. And listen, this is a this is a nonpartisan issue. Everyone understands on the left and the right that this border is a gigantic crisis. The wall helped. Certainly we can utilize technology. We can certainly utilize okay. technology. You're shaking sorry, Mark, you don't I'm, think I'm the sorry. wall helped. This is a this is a very complicated, huge issue that a lot of folks care a lot about. But I think you're confusing a lot of different issues. First of all, our legal immigration system does need a considerable overhaul. I think on that we agree. On the illegal immigration issue, we are going through something of a crisis on the border, but I think that's the result of four years of totally failed and immoral immigration policy under President Trump. And now we're picking up the pieces and what trying to put together. About? What was immoral Well, about? putting kids in cages wasn't a great look, was it? That started and, under Obama. Do your research. And claiming that, start, claiming did, that, that Mexico is going to build a wall on our border See, and then look- never building the wall. And then having the state government of Texas attempt to build a wall with private money for, for a PR stunt that doesn't actually do anything? Like, let's get serious. Let's have a real policy. Would you agree, Mark, that when, when Donald Trump said that Mexico was going to pay for the wall, the first time you ever heard that, and you're, you, you were an early Trump supporter, what did you think when he said that? Did you believe him? No. I mean, serving <laughs> in government. Why, why would you? No, well, serving in government, it's not going to have, you know that they're not going to pay for it. But I love yeah. his answers because this is why Republicans are going to win in (laughs) midterm elections because the whole strategy is blame Trump, blame Trump. Well, he should have learned from Terry McAuliffe. He's as astute politically as he likes to talk about because they, they, Donald Trump was not on the ballot and Democrats lost in Virginia. They, they almost lost 
in New Jersey, uh, and they're bracing for a wave of retirements in Congress on the Democratic side. And so every time he talks about Donald Trump and the failed policies of this administration, I love it because this is a campaign commercial for Republicans. Is Mark, is Donald Trump running for president? Is it beating a dead horse, though, uh, Patrick? Is, is, is beating a dead horse. Talking about Donald Trump, Be, uh, the, you, the putative you, Republican nominee you, for president yeah. in 2024. Yeah. He's still politically active. He's still endorsing. He's taking meetings. So is Obama. Mar-a-Lago. So is Obama. But President Trump is running for office. He's running for president. This yep. is the leader of the Republican Party. Where, where okay. did you hear that so from? This, so this, in your view, then, is not yesterday's news. No, of course was, not. Donald Trump is a contemporary political figure, right. not just someone in the rearview mirror. Donald Trump is the leader okay. of the Republican Party. Do you agree with that, Mark? Yeah, and Barack Obama's leader, exactly. Democratic. Exactly. Barack Obama's leader of the Democratic Party. No, this is Obama's. This is Obama's third term. President Biden is the leader of the Democratic Actually, Party. Actually, he said he's President the Harris, president of the United States. Actually, he said President Harris just yesterday. So, who is the who is the leader of the free world? Uh, are you happy with the way that President Biden is operating, in your view, Patrick? I am impressed by the professionalism and the hard work of the of the administration. Yes. It's been a 180 Come for on, the last man. four years. Well, let's let him right? President Biden has, has recruited and led a very accomplished team of successful folks to do a really hard job. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with how he's managing the administration. How about the uh, pullout of Afghanistan? We've talked about this before, Bruce. The pullout of Afghanistan was set up by Trump in the arms in the the surrender agreement uh, <laughs> last year. Right. So Biden was executing on a strategic situation that was already in play. And he couldn't have changed it. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we were going to pull out of Afghanistan, particularly after we signed the deal, after President Trump signed the deal with the Taliban. Uh, we were going to pull out of Afghanistan regardless, uh, and, and we did. We followed mm-hmm. through with that. So the talk of uh, whether Joe Biden is going to run again in 2024, uh, is that just a beltway yeah. dream? Sure. Does, but it, get, it, get, it gets so much yeah. ink and so much airtime. Of course it's not going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so does, this, so does this kind of fabricated story about the vice president, right? These are, these are conflicts that D.C. reporters use to sell papers. They're not interesting. They're not relevant. They're not substantive. And they really don't reflect on the administration. Well, how are they not relevant to her, though? I mean, are they making these stories up about her uh, p- poll numbers? Are they making these things up about that her staff has has been dwindling since since she took office. I mean, yeah. are these fabrications or are these true assessments of uh, a, a lack of political skills on the part of the vice president? I would say that we're a year into the first term of a Democratic president who likely is going to run again in three years. And so what happens in the vice president's office at the end of that first year isn't terribly interesting when there's a pandemic going on, uh, a massive spending plan that's now been deferred, an infrastructure spending plan that's just kicking off, and a midterm election next year. Mark, are you pleased that the only uh, person who gets any oxygen when discussing the future of the Republican Party is the former president who lost impeached twice, and yet he's, he's sucking up all the oxygen? Should that be shared with uh, a, a handful of other people that would like to lead the Republican Party? And if so, how do they how do they break out from where they are behind the eight ball? Well, listen, I mean, Donald Trump has not made any decision publicly and he hasn't spoken about whether he's running or not running. It's he's it's just been a teaser so far. But 
my friend on the other side is convinced that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for president when nothing's, nothing's been said. No, I've been to Mar-a-Lago several times, and the, the president has been very coy on whether or not he's going to run again, and that's part of his demeanor. I mean, I, I've worked, worked for him for two years. So why are, you two going years. To, why are you going to Mar-a-Lago? Who wouldn't want to go to Mar-a-Lago? Have you been to Mar-a-Lago, Bruce? It's beautiful. No, I would I've never not been to Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. It's, it's, be- it's, a, re- it's a I've it's been a around the outside. It's really nice. It's nice from the outside. Yeah. But my question is, when you go to Mar-a-Lago, I mean, what are you, what are you looking for? Uh, it's, I, I, I get invites. I go to the golf club as well in Palm Beach. I mean, I'm still close with Benny and the president's inner orbit. Uh, why wouldn't you want But are to you asking him to do something, or is he asking you to do things? By the way, we should mention for those around the country that may not have put two and two together. Uh, Mark Vargas, who does a talk show uh, here at uh, WIND, is, he's right across the hall from where we do uh, Beyond the Beltway. He, uh, uh, he precedes me on the air every Sunday night. Uh, and this, this tonight, I'm going to follow him on the air. But my question is, you are known because you're the guy that engineered uh, the clemency decision by the part of the president that got Rod Blagojevich, the former governor of Illinois, out of prison. You you worked the levers of power, and you were the marionette that pulled it all off. So you you have some you have some magic in your hands, Mark. So my question is, um, are you being asked to do other magical things with your political skills? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I, won't, I won't discuss any of those things, but listen. The, it's, Why not? Are they going on or you just don't want to tell about them? I mean, there's lots of conversations going on at Mar-a-Lago and across, and across the country, not just at Bedminster and Washington. Uh, there's, there's conversations happening all the time. And listen, I mean, Donald Trump is a force to be reckoned with in terms of the money that he's been able to raise, incredible amounts of money. He still dominates uh, the headlines. Uh, and and contrary to what my friend here likes to talk about, I mean, he, a lot of bipartisan things happened in terms of criminal justice reform, which was historic, and that was with President Trump, where you had the ACLU on one side and the Koch brothers yes. on the other right. and everyone in between. I worked very closely with Jared Kushner on those, um, where he reversed racist policies that were put forth by Democrats, the 1994 Clinton crime bill authored mm-hmm. by Joe Biden, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary committee who bragged about writing that racist piece of legislation. It was this terrible monster and racist named Donald Trump who reformed a very racist and broken criminal justice system who's gotten incredible votes in a black community, surprised many people across the country uh, and in, in a pandemic. That, I'm pretty sure the name of the legislation that was passed was First Step, right? Because it was a first step. And hey, on the Democratic side, we were all impressed that Republicans were interested in, in police reform. And that's great. Uh, I'm glad in criminal justice reform. Excuse me. Uh, I'm glad that happened. Obviously, it didn't do anything to prevent uh, the horrible police misconduct of, of 2020 and the resulting protests and riots. And obviously, we have a lot more uh, to do. Um, but sure, you know, you get some small credit for that. A lot of credit. Van Jones is a very dear friend of mine, a Democrat, said Republicans took the biggest issue away from Democrats, which is criminal justice reform. Well, it's back. When we come back, we're going to pick up on that criminal justice reform and also uh, uh, the raging uh, crime wave in the country, if you believe that. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Coast to coast and border to border around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Live tonight from Elk Grove Village, Illinois. One forty-five over ninety-two. 
180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and we continue with Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us, and uh, we've got uh, a first-time guest here this evening, although uh, on our flagship station he is a regular voice that you uh, hear before Beyond the Beltway every Sunday night. Uh, Mark Vargas, tell everybody a little bit about you. have a very distinguished resume. Give everybody kind of a, a summary uh, of those uh, accolades uh, who are listening around the country. Well, Bruce, thanks a lot for lowering your standards and allowing me to come in <laughs> for the very first time next to... Patrick here, but you well, know. Now that I know you're so close, it's like you know you just <laughs> you just came in early for that. That's, <laughs> That's right. It's easy, but you know, just real quick. September 11, 2001, was my lightning bolt moment, and I knew at that moment I was a student at Judson University in Elgin that I wanted to serve my country, and I didn't know what that looked like. But 
you know, I call it divine favor, divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Several years later, I find myself walking into the Pentagon to interview for a job to join the staff of the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, in wartime. And I was to join a, a task force in Iraq. And so I, I was brought along. It was a White House made the recommendation, Bush White House. And so I took a total of 14 deployments to Iraq as a civilian. I was not in the military during combat from 07 to 10, served under Presidents Bush and Obama as uh, working as an aide in the Secretary of Defense's office. And I have done a lot of consulting. Um, I work with, uh, I did a lot of work with Mark Cuban on his health care proposal to ensure mm -hmm. that 27 million Americans get health insurance. Uh, when you look, when you look back, uh, forgive me for interrupting, but when you look back on, this is a very impressive resume. Is who was the first person that opened the door? I mean, you you have you've had a, a lot of doors opened for you. Who was the one that opened that first door that led to this maze of successful door openings? The, for you? the first one was actually the then Speaker of the House, Denny Hastert, at oh, his really? office. Okay. They were incredibly kind to me and really got me my first start and flavor of Washington, D.C. and how that works. And here I was in college going to Washington for the summer, interning in the speaker's office, and I'm seeing people walk into the Capitol and into the speaker's mm -hmm. office that I see on that I see on television. And so it was just so exciting. So when are you going to run for office? Well, you know, I ran for, I was a failed congressional candidate in 2010 in Illinois 14, Hastert's old seat. But, you know, I have no, I don't have any interest right now. I, I really? enjoy sort of playing on the perimeter. Right now, but that doesn't mean forever. Perhaps. Patrick, I want to ask you the same question first. You would like to run for office someday, right? At some point, I'd like to, I'd like to serve, yes. Give everybody your background. Sure. So I, I grew up in Northbrook, Illinois. I spent about 10 years out in Washington, uh, working mostly in Asia Pacific, going back and forth from D.C. to Hong Kong, India, and China. Uh, and then I came back to do my MBA at the University of Chicago. Uh, after that, we moved up to Winnetka, and I've been a management consultant and a businessman since. Uh, I recently left McKinsey & Company uh, earlier this summer and work with my wife uh, on a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company called Piglet, Piglet in Bed. We sell uh, pajamas, linens, uh, homewares, housewares. So if you're still looking for Christmas presents, uh, I think we can guarantee delivery by Christmas until about midnight. Where do they go? Where do they? What, no, where do they, where do they go oh, online? To head over to pigletinbed.com. Thanks, Bruce. Okay. And again, if it, literally they could get it out uh, next couple of days? Yeah, I really hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. Yes, <laughs> we've got a we've got a, a warehouse in Northbrook. Say it one more. Say it one more time. Sure. This, this is a Democrat who is a businessman. That's exactly right. Okay. I think that's important. Yeah. So we we've got a ding, warehouse ding, in Northbrook ding. full of workers uh, who are working elves? hard. Are they elves? <laughs> they are they are. union workers? Uh, they are not unionized <laughs> yet. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's take a call from uh, Radio Land. John is listening to us in McHenry, Illinois. John, if you're there, speak up loud and clear. All right. Merry Christmas, all. Thank you. Uh, Christmas. Christmas came early for us with Joe Manchin today yes, when he yes. torpedoed the, the Build Back Better plan. Um, I have to point to the, everybody. He put in writing to Chuck Schumer at the end of July what his conditions were on Build Back Better or what became known as Build Back Better. Him and Senate Majority Leader Schumer signed this, mm -hmm. and at the very bottom it says, first off, that revenue, nothing exceeding $1.5 That was his number. 
So anything above $1.5 trillion, Manchin was not going to commit to. And at the very bottom, he said, Senator Manchin does not guarantee that he will vote for the final reconciliation legislation if it exceeds the conditions outlined in this agreement. One of the other mm-hmm. conditions is no expansions of entitlements without means testing. Right. So just want to comment that Manchin said through to his word, he said it in writing. I mean, reading the responses on Twitter, it's like reading the Sunday funny papers. And even Jen Psaki's long-winded uh, statement from the White House, um, Manchin's going by this Congressional Budget Office that said the real cost of the legislation. So uh, we're very thankful that Joe Manchin came through and, and he held to his convictions. And he made it very clear almost five months ago what he was looking for in the legislation. And, pe- and this is someone who actually held to his word, and he put it in writing. It, 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 it went public back at the end of September. And I just want to comment that and see what your panelists say to what he put back in July and the fact that he followed through with it today and made it clear he will not vote for what is being what passed the House. Patrick, yeah, yeah, John, I think that's a really good point. Listen, I, I hear that. And, and un, I personally think that he's going to coal in his stocking uh, this year, but he'd probably be happy with that. Um, the reality is... There was, there was five months. Wherever he goes. There's <laughs> lots ex- of coal. That's exactly <laughs> right. There's, there's uh, five months of negotiations, right? Back in October, November, he said he's, he's comfortable with the $1.75 trillion. There was a handshake deal with Biden in December. So, I, you know, folks on my side get frustrated when we see uh, Senator Manchin, what I would say, is, is leading us on for about half a year around these issues, especially when we came through with the infrastructure plan. So, you know, I'm frustrated, but I do hear you, John. Uh, it would be out of character for Senator Manchin to uh, to agree to this level of spending uh, this quickly. And the reality is now the Build Back Better policies, which are wildly popular, are on the ballot in November. Mark, your comment. Well, you know, Pr- President Joe Manchin has spoken. And, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I think, you know, Joe Biden was wishing everybody happy Fourth of July as the, you know, the Senate uh, recessed for mm-hmm. Christmas break. You know, listen, at the end of the day, Joe Manchin's a good man. A lot of people will, a lot of people say on the left and the right, he's a good man. And he's doing what politicians should do. He made a tough decision. And you got to respect that. But Schumer and the Democrats in the White House have to be very careful because they have a very slim majority in the Senate. Very, very slim majority. And they are really going to be pushing Joe Biden to make, or Joe President Joe Manchin to make decision to caucus with the with the Republicans, and that's going to really change the shift of of the Senate. They've got they've got to tread carefully. They've been attacking them all day long, and I don't think that just bodes well yeah. for for uh, the Democrats. John, I want to I want to follow up with a question based on what you've just said because uh, there have been numerous runs at Joe Manchin by the Republican Party over the years mm-hmm. to switch uh, switch parties, not just in this recent uh, uh, celebrity hood that he's in for the last eight or nine months. Um, I want to ask you this question, Mark. Does Joe Manchin represent a potential opportunity for the Republican Party if it ever became apparent that Donald Trump could not or would not run for president? Let's say, God forbid, there's a health issue. So Donald Trump is out of the picture for 2024 and you look at Joe Manchin as a political commodity is there anyone that jumps to the top of your brain right now 
as a Republican who could bring to a national election the things that Joe Manchin has already earned because of the billions of dollars in free publicity he's received as as the guy standing in the in the congressional door. Sure. I mean, I, again, I, I, I like Joe Manchin uh, and he'd certainly be a, a contender for 2024, even as a vice presidential candidate on the Republican side. Sure. Absolutely. What do you think of that idea, Patrick? Oh, I don't know that those things work out very well. It always seems like a good idea for folks like Joe Lieberman uh, or others to, to swap sides, but I, I really don't think voters reward that. They, do, In other words, a, a Republican primary voter or an independent voter, yeah. uh, notwithstanding even some Democrats from oh. West Virginia, mm. you don't believe there is any constituency out there that looks at what Joe Manchin is doing and applauding that? No, I really don't. Outside of Democrats in West Virginia, no. No, I don't see it. I and Republicans, he, West Virginia. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at that statement. Cause really? I, I would think that all the publicity that he's received, there's probably a lot of independents and Republicans are saying, you know, this guy is, he's standing up, he's saying, he's saying the right words, mm-hmm. and by golly, you know, I wouldn't vote for him now because he's a Democrat. But what if he were to emerge a, a, and, and change parties and emerge as a Republican, as a, as a candidate for president? He's not going to ch- he's not going to challenge Joe Biden. He has no future in the Democratic yeah. Party. Yeah. You, Mark, have we started a plan here? We okay, uh, is this I, a conspiracy of, of I, I two think, here? No, I think we've started a plan. <laughs> I, I'll just suggest that my friend just stay in his e-commerce business and let the uh, national there politicking up to us. <laughs> Leave that up to us. John, uh-huh. thanks very much. We appreciate your call. Let's go to Edward. Uh, he is listening to us this evening on AM 560, our flagship station. Go ahead, Edward, from Chicago. Yeah, good evening. Uh, Mr. Biden on Tuesday needs to address one of the things is the uh, blood clots that are happening in Johnson & Johnson. So people don't have any hesitancy about getting Pfizer or Moderna. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm sure I, I don't think he's going to address that in his speech, but I'm sure that the FDA is looking into uh, some of the questions about uh, Johnson and Johnson and, and the efficiency of their uh, of their vaccine. Okay, thanks very much. Let's go to Tom. Uh, actually, we're going to go to Tom after the break because the music is a playing. He's in Youngstown, Ohio. He's standing by, and we will hear his uh, dulcet tones in a moment. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border and beyond the beltway.com. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. 
For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Boostermont back, and I promised that we would be heading uh, east to Youngstown, Ohio. And Tom is there listening uh, on WPIC. Go ahead, you're on the air. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you. Merry Christmas to uh, you, Tom. Two corrections or clarifications. First yes. of all, as far as uh, the border wall is concerned, what Trump was saying is that for decades, Mexico was shifting the cost of social costs and economic costs of their poor to our country, as well as the people coming up from uh, Central America. By building the wall, that cost shifts back to Mexico. The money saved from that pays for the wall. Mexico indirectly paid for it, would pay for it. As far as the uh, situation with uh, uh, Afghanistan, Trump did have a timeline, but he was going to be flexible on that. He already shifted it once. Biden, on the other hand, focused on political correctness in the military instead of realizing that first you take out the hostages and the civilians and the people that cooperated with you, and you take out your military arsenal and and scale that down, and then eventually you pull out the military. You just, don't just pull out the military first and leave everything else behind, including all the uh, documents of who aided us and, and who they were and where they were, and those people are now being murdered. Mm-hmm. When you look ahead, uh, Tom, you call this program frequently, and uh, I'm going to suggest that you're probably a fan of Donald Trump, but I don't know that as a fact. You're absolutely you? right. Okay. Yes, sir. And uh, my question to you is, if for some reason Donald Trump were not able to make it to the post, for whatever reason, I mean, he's he's a man that's advancing in years. He looks pretty good. The health is allegedly good. 
but you know, there's always there's always the the great health issue. Uh, if something were to come up, who is your who is your backup uh, choice for president or running truth, for president? I don't have a backup choice. Would Joe Manchin um, be a backup choice? I, look, I, I see Trump, and, and, and you know the people that are Trump-like uh, are only emulating what Trump has done. In a given situation, Trump is unpredictable, and and he uh, innovates, and, and that's what makes Trump Trump. And, and, and he succeeds in doing so. He has this instinct to do so. So if you, you ask me, Bruce, who I would pick, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, who would you pick besides Secretariat if Secretariat couldn't win a race, a uh, horse race? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, you, you pick that thoroughbred because that's the one that's won the races. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you let's... can't say that the next in line would be this one. Tom, I'd, I'd have to wait and see who's available. Yeah, Tom, I think that's so interesting. I really appreciate your response. And it just makes me curious. What, is that the one thing that you really draws you to to President Trump is kind of the uh, the unpredictability, the the innovation? Is that what you like about it? It, it was the, it was the willingness to go for the jugular, mm. and, and and at the same time uh, the fire in the belly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I first of all I was a Democrat most of my life. I didn't mm-hmm. leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. Mm-hmm. Now I I looked at uh, I actually voted for McCain and and Romney. They were both presidential, but they were both losers. Same with John uh, or with uh, 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 Bob Dole. Mm-hmm. Trump was willing to be different. He was willing to say things the way they were and and take the hits, mm-hmm. but but be honest about it. And I think that's what drew a lot of people to him. Yeah. He wasn't dodging. He was presidential, mm-hmm. in the sense of a uh, Teddy Roosevelt or of a Harry Truman or someone like that. He Andrew Jackson. He, he wasn't presidential in the sense of uh, the wishy-washiness that we've seen yeah. recently in years. And, and, and then the Jimmy Carters. I, I'm sorry, Jimmy Carter, nice guy, lousy president. I voted for him twice, unfortunately. Well, I think you've summarized uh, the appeal of, of Donald Trump. And, and I guess a question that I would ask is, if you voted against Donald Trump for re-election, Based on what you know now and based on what you're experiencing with the Democrat president and Joe Biden, would you go back to Donald Trump? I mean, there, there was there was quite a drop off of voters from Donald Trump. Who, you know, they voted for him the first time. They didn't vote for him the second. I'm not a huge dumper, but enough to kick him out of office. I'm wondering how many of those people have buyer's remorse that they voted for Joe Biden, and by golly, we're going to go back. We're going to give Donald Trump a second chance. Mark? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those that he lost the second time is a lot of these, um, the moms, the suburban moms. But because of the crime and law and order issues, we're seeing this crime now go from big cities into the suburbs. This is a big issue, and so I think this is a perfect opportunity to bring Donald Trump in. Listen, he was, the, the caller described this Donald Trump to a T. You know, I mean, this is... There are so many Democrats now that are kind of shifting towards center right now because same comment. We I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. And all of your callers and all of your listeners, whether they're Republican or Democrat, during the last four years of Donald Trump's presidency, they had more money in their pockets than they have in a long, long time. And that's true. More the un, lowest unemployment rates for women, for minorities in mm-hmm. 50-plus years. Let's go to another call. Brian is listening to us in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Go ahead, Albuquerque. 
Hey, happy holidays, Brian. Happy holidays, Brian. I used to be Brian from, used to be Brian from Roselle. Now I'm Brian from Albuquerque. Wow, well, it's probably <laughs> and, uh, a lot warmer out there now. It was about 20 degrees warmer than Elgin, uh, Elgin or excuse me, Elgin or Elk Grove today. Uh, I want to make a few comments. I don't like either party. I'm an independent, mm. and that's not out of ignorance because I know what they do. Uh, Donald Trump's the perfect candidate for people with short attention spans because mm-hmm. uh, he's on every side of every issue if you listen to everything he says. Uh, would anybody like to comment on uh, what Donald had to say about people that take the Fifth Amendment? Did you uh, catch any of that? And then uh, Mark, I'd also like Mark to comment respond that, to that. Mark, do you want to respond to that? Listen, I mean, he, at the end of the day, he's not, he's not a politician. Uh, he's a business guy, and he came at it from that perspective. I can hear my, my colleague <laughs> over here sighing, but it's true. And, you know, of course, you, you can pick nitpick what he said before and now, and, I mean, everyone's got that. It, there's not one single person in public office that hasn't flipped on something. Well, by no means to that extent, right? Trump's, <laughs> Trump's uh, relationship with the truth is pretty unprecedented. Well, let's talk about Joe Biden and the should pandemic. Mark, should Mark Meadows serve prison time? For failing to testify, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You think he should? Of course. I suggested to Mark Meadows to change his name to Hunter Biden, then they'd leave him alone. <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, can I make some comments on the Democrat? Yeah. Yes, go ahead. He's here. Yeah, I'm a union man. I'm I'm a lucky guy. To, to you know, on on, on on that point, on that point that you're a union man, um, if you can stand by, we'll let you start the second hour. But we're going to a break. We have to say. Farewell to Mark Vargas because he has a a program to do. Uh, And again, when we come back, Judith Sherwin will join us and Patrick Hanley will continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. 
a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us uh, for our uh, Christmas week program. Before I go too much further, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And uh, we will be back here next Sunday night uh, for the day after Christmas. We will have a program uh, that evening. So we hope that you'll join us uh, then. But also, uh, if your travels are taking you to see friends and relatives around the country, we we wish you well. And uh, make sure you're vaxxed. I know a lot of people are going to be crazy when when they hear me say that. But... Uh, make sure uh, there's already been uh, uh, some changes in uh, my holiday uh, planning because of uh, people who are fearful of the uh, vax issue and the COVID issue out in uh, California, which is where I will be spending uh, uh, my holidays. Uh, we continue. Uh, our Democrat, Patrick Hanley, continues from hour number one, and we are now joined by Judith Sherwin, who's a frequent guest on this program, and she is stepping into Mark Vargas's spot for hour number two. And uh, Judith, before we get to uh, uh, the things that we were talking about in hour number one, we had a caller that, that called in, Brian, uh, formerly from Roseale, Illinois, now resides in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he wanted to bring up an issue about labor or labor relations. So, Brian, we held you on. Uh, go ahead with your question. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I worked over 32 years in the electrical industry, the electrician, and uh, I've seen many, many businesses in operation because we did a lot of remodel work. And I can't tell you how many illegal immigrants I came across in my line of work. And whenever somebody starts griping about the border, I wish the host or the Democrat would bring up all the American employers mm. that hire them. Yeah. And what's transpired over the last 40 years is that many sectors of our economy view illegal immigrants as an entitlement. They're entitled to those workers, agribusiness, Mm -hmm. uh, the food industry, hospitality, men that own golf courses. You know, so let's be fair when we talk about illegal immigrants. There's a lot of Americans that make millions and millions of dollars off of illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to comment on the Democratic Party. Well, by the way, that's that's one of the reasons... It's one of the reasons why this issue has never been resolved, yeah, why we just right. keep kicking the can down the field is because it isn't, by the way, it isn't just Democrats. It's people who own and operate businesses, 
and and I don't want to. I, I guess I could say m- there are more Republicans than own businesses. I don't know that. I, my gut tells me that. But the point is, there's a lot of Republicans. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, uh, you know comprehensive uh, uh, immigration never made it through a Republican uh, presidencies or even uh, uh, Republican leadership in House is that uh, you know uh, Representative Ryan uh, didn't want it. Right. I mean, he was the Speaker of the House. Correct. He didn't want it because the uh, the Chamber of Commerce didn't want it. And if the Chamber of Commerce doesn't want it, you're not going to find a Republican Speaker that's going to walk the plank for it, no matter how irate uh, constituents might be, because, you know, that that solid support of the uh, of the business community, frankly, is is more important than those that are reacting in a visceral way to the sight of, of thousands of, of illegal immigrants marching across our borders. But go ahead. All right, me, am I yes. back on now? Yes. Okay, uh, my comment on the Democratic Party is they need to get back to the center. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you listen to all their policy wishes and everything they want, you can boil it down to you can do anything you want in life and the government will step in and take care of you, which is insane. That's never worked in any civilization ever in history. The Democratic Party needs to start stressing personal responsibility mm-hmm. and limits. You know, we can't give you everything. You're not entitled to have, you know, 14 children and have the government pay for it. You know, it's, just, it's ridiculous where they found themselves. You know, they want to limit certain types of human activities, like burning fossil fuels. You can't do that. You know, we got to cut, cut carbon emissions. But then we turn on and say that, well, you can do whatever you want in your personal life, and the government will pay for it. All right, let's, let, let, let's let Patrick respond. Patrick? Hey, I, I really appreciate these. I think these are some thoughtful points. And I broadly agree with kind of where you're coming, coming from. The way that I think about the Democratic Party and the way that I've approached it is that we're the party that wants to guarantee the equality of opportunity. And I know a lot of folks, especially on the right, accuse us of trying to uh, guarantee the equality of outcomes, which I, and I think I agree with you, Mark, uh, I don't believe in. It doesn't make any sense. But to the extent that we do find uh, barriers to opportunity in marginalized groups, among women, uh, and across our society, we are the party that is, that is proposing solutions. I, and I really do believe uh, that is the, at the heart of a lot of democratic politics and policies. Um, if I can, very quickly, there was a very... Uh, a clever metaphor for the reason why the Democratic Party has a, such a difficult time uh, messaging what we believe in, and that's because the distance between AOC and Joe Manchin is much, much farther than the distance between uh, a Ron DeSantis and a Mike Boast, right? The Republican Party uh, broadly is, is fairly homogenous. They want similar things. They're similar people, frankly. Whereas the Democratic Party, uh, we unite a number of groups and there's a lot of folks pulling in different directions. So it makes it a lot harder to have a clear, direct message. Uh, but to your point, I, I agree. Judith Sherwin, do you agree with uh, Patrick's comment about the, uh, uh, the, the, that Republicans are somewhat all alike, homogeneous, whereas the Democrats uh, have uh, different factions? Well, I think, I think that would have been true uh, perhaps 20 years ago. I don't think it's true anymore. The Republican Party, you know, there's a joke about it. it's not your, it's not your grandfather's Republican Party, yeah. right? It's not anymore. You have people in the Republican Party these days or espousing Republican Party principles who used to be the mainstay. Mm. What used to keep the Democratic Party together were the working people, 
the union people, the people who wanted to put food on the tables and their children to a better life than the one they had, uh, you know, be able to to uh, take a vacation in the summertime, the sort of basic bread and butter stuff. Those people, and certainly under Donald Trump, have moved into the Republican Party. And I think Trump, the genius of Donald Trump, amongst other things, was that he saw that and he realized that these bread and butter kind of issues, the Democratic Party has been taken over by academic ideologues who are not living in the in this world. And it's true that the distance between AOC and Joe Manchin, I mean, it's it's they're not even on the same planet. But but you don't have that kind of distance in the Republican Party because the Republican Party has changed from the country club, although we still have a number of those, to the party of what do everyday people need in this life to get ahead and 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 it's not the kinds of rhetoric that's coming mm -hmm. out of the Democratic Party. But you know, Bruce knows me for years. I was as as died in the world Democrat as you could possibly be, okay? And I'm another one of these people who say I didn't leave the Democratic Party. They left me. They left me a long time ago. And and so But on an issue that was very important to you forty, fifty years ago, and I know it's still very important to you. The Democratic Party stood up for civil rights. They stood up for those that that needed a help up the Absolutely. rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. right. And my question to you is, and we'll get the answer after the break, did the Republican Party then or now, have they stepped in to pick up that, 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 that chalice and pick up the banner and try to do something for those people and bring them along? That's the question to you. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. Brian, thank you very much for joining us as well. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. 
If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont, we continue with Beyond the Beltway on this uh, Christmas uh, week. Nice to have you with us. Hopefully you got all your Christmas shopping done. If you have not, let me give you a little tip that in our next break, <laughs> I'm going to give a little plug to our Democratic businessman here who has a, uh, he is selling pajamas, online pajamas, right? And the, what makes these pajamas special other than that you're selling them? These pajamas are 100% linen which means they're breathable in bed. Oh. They feel great, they look great, and you don't have to wash them too much, which is nice. Okay, and so you can Sounds get them and good. you can snuggle up with your MyPillow. That's exactly it. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's a, a bipartisan. Bi that's that's, that's right. a beautiful thing, Chris. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Judith Sherwin, my, my question to you was, uh, uh, your background was, was, you were very progressive as a younger woman and uh, uh, very much involved in the civil rights movement, anti-war movement. Uh, which is when we first met. But my question to you is, um, the Democratic Party gambled decades ago when they said that they were going to be in the forefront of the civil rights struggle. Mm -hmm. they, they knew that by doing that, the solid South for Democrats was going to be gone, and it is. Mm -hmm. But my question to you is, the image of the Republican Party is that when that came along, the Republican Party didn't do anything to sort of pick up that opportunity mm -hmm. to help those that were involved in the civil rights struggle. Now, granted, there were exceptions because the civil rights bill would not have passed without a, Republicans. A point I was going to make. Major Republicans. Correct. But once that happened, what happened? Where, where did the image of the Republican Party that supported civil rights and the civil rights struggle. When did the image of the Republican Party begin to fade, if you agree that it did fade, and, and so much of what they have to do now, in many cases, is to try to make cases that they still care, even though the, the public narrative might be, and again, it's been brought on by the Democrats and also by the media, is that somehow Republicans don't care about civil rights. 
Well, I think... And do you agree with my premise of the question? I, no, I agree with your premise. And I, I think that, that probably the change occurred... Um, the change occurred with Nixon, most likely, okay? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Nixon came in, and, and at the time... You know, you had you had the well, the civil rights movement. You had the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. They were all in their in their, you know, their heyday, and and moving into a direction that was was going away from the nonviolent kind of movement that it had been mm -hmm. into a much more direct action, perhaps violent. You had the weathermen come up. You had other violent groups. You had you had you know bombs going off in various places, yeah. and and along comes Nixon, and and you know the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement kind of got mixed up in in people's minds, in terms of the media and the public. If you if you were anti-war, then you were pro-civil rights. That's mm -hmm. that's the way everybody looked at it. So along comes Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon is a cold warrior. Richard Nixon runs on a law and order campaign. Richard Nixon in '68. In '68, Richard <clears throat> Nixon is is the antithesis of of uh, Hubert Humphrey. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's he's uh, and as much as people blamed Hubert Humphrey for being part of the war machine, Richard Nixon was a bad guy. I mean, when mm -hmm. Richard Nixon was elected. Um, I felt like the world had come to an end, honestly. I remember that. I <laughs> yes, you, you do. You knew me that. <laughs> I was on the phone with someone who you also know very well, and we were talking about that. I did feel, I felt as bad, perhaps worse, with more reason than the people did when Donald Trump was elected. This was the end of America, as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, we were vindicated in feeling that way some six years later based on the whole Watergate stuff and what mm -hmm. he was doing. But um, I think at that point the whole narrative changed, okay? And the fact that you never would have you never would have had a civil rights bill without Republicans, it wasn't going to happen right. because there was no Democratic mm -hmm. no, no Demo The South was solid and I don't know, I don't, remember, I don't know the numbers. How many, what are there, 30 senators who were not ever going to vote for this? Yeah. Okay, so the only way this happened was for the northern senators, the northern Republican senators, right. to vote for this. Otherwise, it wouldn't right. have happened. Mm -hmm. But somehow, the Republicans couldn't get any credit for it. And they never have gotten any credit for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that Nixon was... Nixon was a phenomenon in American politics that I, I don't know. People be writing books about him for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Nobody liked him. He managed to get himself elected twice. Mm -hmm. um, he was part of the American consciousness for all this time. Mm -hmm. And I think he really changed the narrative in looking back. I mean, I haven't really thought about this, but mm -hmm. when you ask but me again, the question, where, where, I think I mean, that's kind of where it started. He was a law and order person. He didn't care. It, mm -hmm. You know... You didn't have a right to to take over a campus or to take over the office of the president of Columbia or any of that other yeah. stuff. Law and order, that's all he law cared order. about. Mm -hmm. And the silent majority, okay? So everybody took is a look. Law, is, law, is law and order at the moment, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Patrick, is, is the perception of law and order as not being real important to Democrats? Mm -hmm. 
real in your view? When, no. you, when you look at the perceptions <clears throat> and the narrative, why <clears throat> you understand that a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans feel that way, though. Yeah. The Democratic Party appears to be weak on crime issues. Yeah, the Democratic Party has a tough time because when we look at challenges, we look at root causes and we look for solutions. We get frustrated by taglines like law and order that we know are code for mass incarceration. Sure, right? They're, they're code for strategies that we've played for 50 years that have not worked, that have eviscerated marginalized communities and made things much worse. Uh, what we need to start doing is reframing the way that we think about this because we do care, Bruce, we do. I live in the North Shore of Chicago where we've had a number of smash and grab incidents at the local mall down at the 7-Eleven not too far from me. This is a huge problem, but it's the result of concentrated poverty. It's the result of racialized policies. And the answer is public investments. Okay, no, but, but not, but, but, but not, I, want to, I want to just focus on and smash I, and grab. I'd like to, yeah. I'd yeah. Like to respond because to that smash, Because smash and grab... Uh, on Michigan Avenue in Chicago or in yeah. Rodeo Drive mm -hmm. or in San Francisco or in New York City, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's somebody wants a Gucci purse. Mm -hmm. They're not stealing a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are property crimes, which, again, a lot of, uh, you know, states' attorneys around the country don't put a very high value on it. Mm. And so it becomes something that, uh, that automatically happens. Sure. But, but who were the... Who are the Democrats that are standing up demanding that this stop? Well, let's remember that President... At the national level. Yeah, President Biden's already talked about this, and he's acted on it to an extent, working with the major retailers on new policies around smash and grab specifically. Yeah, the reality is these folks are they are breaking into malls. They're stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of luxury goods mm -hmm. so they can resell them on black markets. This is the result of communities, This is or individuals, I should say, not communities, who have opted out of the system. Right. They have followed the 2020 protests. They followed the 2020 uh, abuses, police misconduct. They've seen nothing happen uh, at the state and national level to address uh, challenges of disinvestment in their communities. And they've opted out. They said, forget it. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go take Judith. a purse, sell it on the black okay. market, make a buck. Judith. So so I agree with you that there has been disinvestment in the mm -hmm. black community. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. You know, what we call underserved communities. But mm -hmm. but the so when when Donald Trump was president, he did his level best to do investment in the underserved communities and did a great deal of it in a program that was put together by Senator uh, Tim Scott. And he he continued to do that. Did he get any kind of press for it? Did anybody pay any attention to it? Absolutely not. Did, did who who was the person who put in prison reform? Okay, um, that was Donald Trump's era. Mm -hmm. That did not come from the Democratic Party. I understand. You know, you're not the you, and I don't mean you in particular, but <laughs> the the Democratic Party is not the only party in America that's looking for root causes. We all see what's going on with respect to underserved uh, and minority communities. Mm -hmm. The question is what to do about it, mm -hmm. all right? And, and so when the underserved communities of the south and west sides of the city were killing each other in their underserved communities only, nobody turned around and said boo about it, okay? If, if I were a black person living on the south side of Chicago who couldn't sit on my front porch in the summertime because mm -hmm. some 
crazy person was going to come by and shoot me, mm-hmm. I would have been on the front steps of City Hall yelling and screaming every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Democratic Party has done nothing about that. So eventually what happened, because these these people aren't stupid, they see that we have we have a state's attorney like Kim Fox who won't prosecute anybody Okay, and and maybe a murderer. I don't know, but they got plenty of those running around on the street now with ankle bracelets, killing other people. All right, so they're not stupid. The police aren't going to come after you because you're not even allowed to chase somebody down the street anymore. But when when I when mean, can what, Democrats start to because you know the 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 the, the mayor I of I mean these are Republicans Fran- putting no, the, these the mayor the mayor of San Francisco finally got just it. recently finally I mean, got she, it. She sounded like a Republican right. when she was talking about what's happening to her city, which has become but synonymous with a an urban area uh, that's uh, but it didn't happen fallen by the wayside. Bruce. No, it did. Well, we feel like we need reactionary policies when it's already too late. Well, they're not reactionary. We need to do something about bad things before it's too late. I want to talk specifically about what some of the policies that you might recommend on this point. We have a Republican. We have a Democrat. We have uh, maybe some agreement, maybe some disagreement. I'm Bruce Dumont. From coast to coast and border to border, this is Beyond the Beltway. It's our Christmas week. Have a very Merry Christmas. Drive carefully. Take your shots. Language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, (laughs) tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do. 
uh, the impact of having a shoch. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, nice to have you with us. And uh, during the break and also in the last segment, we talked about the uh, uh, problems, uh, the societal problems, that uh, how Democrats uh, deal with them, how Republicans deal with them. And uh, we're going to talk more about that because we have people that care on that issue. But I did say that uh, just a few moments ago that if you are still looking for a Christmas gift... <laughs> that can allegedly still be delivered by the 25th and you go and you go online tonight or tomorrow preferably tonight and you can buy really nice pajamas special linen pajamas you and your wife own the company. She created the company, She right? created the company. She's, She's the, the entrepreneur. She's the She's boss. the boss. That's exactly right. And what makes these linen uh, uh undergarments or pajamas yeah, yeah, yeah. unique yeah so this is a hundred percent linen bedding pajamas homewares sleepwares uh they are the the flax is grown in europe uh it's pulled together in portugal and now sold to you uh they they're cool in the summer they're warm in the winter they're cozy and you don't have to make your bed uh when you use linen sheets do you make do you make onesies uh <laughs> you know i don't think we do no. yet Yes. Okay. But again, you have a whole line of things. It isn't yes. just the pajamas. Yes, that's exactly so right. So yeah. if they want to, if they want to yeah. look, get, and and give us a price range, give, give us a price range where they might. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know these, it off the top these pajamas will clock in around a hundred dollars. Okay, so these are really pajamas. nice yeah, pajamas. Are, yeah. But you spend a third of your life in bed, so why not? Why not? So my right. question to you is, where do people go? This is your free plug, coast to coast, and you still think it can be delivered? By the end of the week. That's right. I'm putting a lot of a lot of pressure and faith in our Northbrook warehouse, the fantastic workers there. Uh, www.pigletinbed.com. Thank you, Bruce. Piglet. Piglet in bed. In bed.com. Piglet in bed.com. If you cool. want really fancy pajamas to go with your really fancy sheets and pillows. Right. Given the fact that we're spending so much time at home, yeah. it's no, not right. just being in bed. That's yeah. right. That, that's, that's a good right. idea. That's a very, and it's a wonderful gift. All right, now, back to our discussion. We're talking with Patrick Hanley. He is the Democrat. Judith Sherwin is our Republican in hour number two. Uh, Mark Vargas joined us in the first hour this evening. But uh, we're getting into some serious issues about uh, about life in America and life in big cities, not just in Chicago, but all over the country. And uh, one of the issues that, that has come up is homelessness. Mm -hmm. And my question also, the bigger question is, does the Republican Party really have a, do they have a narrative that is believable mm -hmm. that they really care about these issues? Or is this a narrative that was created by, stolen by, whatever it is, the Democrats umpteen years ago, and that's part of their MO, that everybody right. believes that if, if, if someone is downtrodden, 
uh, a Democrat is likely to be there to help them. And Judith, you're saying that's not true. I don't think so it's true. So give us more examples right. of where you think so, that Republicans so, uh, step up. Right. I mean, I believe that Republicans step up on the issue of, of deinstitutionalization and serious solutions as to what to do with people who are in mental health institutions or who are in need of mental health services. The, the, it isn't a choice. One size doesn't fit all with this stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. So it isn't a choice between everybody should be locked up in an institution mm -hmm. or everybody who's in an institution is having a civil rights violation, mm -hmm. okay? I think the concept of civil rights and what is a civil right in this country has been mangled to a very great degree by the media. Everything is a civil right. Everything is, is, is something that, you know, is a God-given right that the United States mm -hmm. government is supposed to protect. No, and not even think, the, the states are term, supposed to protect. When you think of the term civil rights, right. I think most people think of racial. I mm -hmm. think they think in a racial Absolutely. way. You're talking about the broader definition of a right that someone has. And right. so my question to you is... But that's because a you narrative. Mentioned, that's a narrative. Yeah, I know okay. it is a narrative. And it's, it's, you a, mentioned, it's you a media narrative. Yeah, but you, you also mentioned uh, deinstitutionalization. Yes. That goes back, you know, probably 50 years, okay? Well, that goes back to... to and, and it is something that likely started under a Republican administration, okay? Yeah. Ted I mean, Kennedy was a big... And Ted Kennedy right. was a big... So, so the Democrats think that deinstitutionalization is a civil right and, and everybody who's in an institution should be out because it will be better for them. That's what the Democrats think. Mm. The Republicans think that institutions cost too much money and that therefore there should be deinstitutionalization because it will be cheaper. And they are both wrong. Okay, mm -hmm. very wrong. And this is something that, that I have worked on for a number of years because I was the lead counsel in a civil rights action, class action, in the state of Illinois to prevent the closure of developmentally disabled facilities across the state. Okay. And, and But to go back, let me just go back right. to, to follow along, going back to where it all began. Right. In the beginning, there, there had been exposés about horrible conditions in mental mental they called them mental institutions or insane right. asylums then. Right, right. And uh, they were horrible circumstances. There were movies made about it. Of course. And it led to a national movement that was again led primarily by liberal Democrats, but there mm -hmm. were Republicans that got got by. Mm -hmm. And they basically said this way of life is is inhumane. It's not right. And so we're going to open up the institutions we're going to let the people out who are there. And what are but, we going to replace it but, with? But okay. there was a plan in place to have community uh, facilities where people could be dealt with at the community level. And Congress, mm -hmm. both Republicans and Democrats, they never provided the, 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 the safety funding. net mm -hmm. and the funding that was supposed to replace. So here's, and so now we so have me, cities me, where okay. where people are on the street in right. tents. So yeah, let me explain right. some of this that that I have learned over the years. The money it it costs about, or at least it did, say three four years ago, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars 
um, $120,000 a month in some cases to take care of severely developmentally disabled people in an institution. So the I, and generally it's closer to 50, but it can be as high as 120 depending on how sick they are because yeah. some of them are, are, they're not just mentally deficient, they're deficient in a lot of physical ways as well. So, and some of those people have to be in a certain structured environment, but say for the $50,000 range a person who's in reasonably good health, they have, they have deficits in their intellectual mm -hmm. capacity. So the idea was you get something called a waiver, waiver mm -hmm. program, and the waiver is the this is what they call it, the money follows the person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That sounds yeah. great, doesn't it? The money follows the person to most normal people, not a bureaucrat or a congressperson, means that the $50,000 you're using to take care of person A in an institution, you now have available to take care of person A not at an institution. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work that way, okay? Mm. That money kind of poof disappears. Mm -hmm. All right. And was it means testing a big problem with that? Well, it, it it's not even means testing. It's because the people who the developmentally disabled, regardless of means testing, get Medicaid. Mm -hmm. It's got mm -hmm. nothing to do with right. means testing. Right. So if they get fifty thousand dollars to keep them in in a place like Murray Developmental Center, which I worked with, mm -hmm. there's a plug for you guys. They're a great place. Um, if they have fifty thousand dollars to take care of person A there. There's not $50,000 available to take care of that person if you put them in a community, what they call a community living arrangement, okay? A SILA. But how did we, yeah, I want to I telescope this conversation. How did we get from there mm -hmm. to where we are now, where in many major cities of the United States, there is a homeless issue? Because I don't want to say it's a problem. It's an issue. Because but here, here's the But they problem. are living on the streets. Okay. And when so, you see someone living on a street, let me ask you a question. This is for both of you. Okay. When you see someone living on a street, do you donate to them? Do you sometimes, give them money? Sometimes. Patrick? I, I end up donating to organizations that help folks experiencing homelessness. Okay. I mean, I emptied out my closet last week, and instead of giving it to the Salvation Army, who generally aggravated me the week before, uh, we brought it over. We found out who was sort of in charge of mm -hmm. one of the places. Uh, on Clark Street in Chicago, we had a lot mm -hmm. of good clothes, blankets. Mm -hmm. stuff. We just yeah. gave it to them. That's mm -hmm. all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I look. It, you know, people have decided Republicans don't have hearts, right? Mm. And and that's that's just not true. We all see these problems. We have different solutions. Mm -hmm. The reason that this wonderful idea about putting everybody into the community didn't work is because. Congress didn't provide enough money mm -hmm. right. for this. Congress didn't provide the, oh, well, not Congress. Congress didn't provide the state with the funds mm -hmm. to oversee this stuff, okay? There's a tremendous network of over oversight that goes on so with how, institutions. How, this how it do doesn't we, go on how in do, the cells. How do we correct that? How do we correct it with Republicans or Democrats, who's ever in charge? Mm -hmm. How do we go back to that initial idea of when a person was let out of an institution, there was supposed to be some place in the community where that person was to be dealt with, and if that person was not dealt with because those intermediate uh, facilities were never built, 
Mm-hmm. That's why you see panhandlers on the street. That's why you see tent cities under viaducts, you know, in Chicago and and, uh, and around the country. Well, and the question is, uh, where can they go? I mean, and, and my, here's my question to everybody, maybe Patrick, mm. because you see you support some of these other groups. Anyway, I'm going to ask the question: when when you give money to a homeless person, if you do, do you ever talk with them, or do you mm. just give them money back mm-hmm. shortly? At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. A My Social Security account allows you to access your earnings history and benefits information, request a replacement Social Security card, get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our Christmas show. And uh, 
We're talking about, we're kind of serious on Christmas Eve this evening because uh, uh, whereas the holidays uh, bring uh, hopefully fond memories of uh, your childhood uh, as you walk through life uh, and as you experience things, you certainly know that along life's way there are many people that uh, uh, do not look at this week or do not look at the holidays coming up uh, with any sense of joy because uh, uh, they are homeless. And we're talking a little bit about this evening, the, the broader issue of homelessness and, and what, if anything, we can do. But my question to you, Patrick, is because you said that uh, you don't give money directly to a homeless person, but you give to organizations that mm. support them. Um, how often do you have that conversation? Judith, same to you. How often do you have a conversation with someone who is homeless uh, where you can explain, you know, I give money to other entities mm. that you can take advantage of this evening, mm -hmm. so that there's a there's a there's a sense of yeah. community that you've had with this person. Yeah, that's a great question. And and listen, in response to to your question, I was thinking about the last couple of years when I was mostly at home, uh, working from home and and staying in the suburbs, so it really didn't come across it too often. But a couple of years ago, I lived in Hyde Park, and I volunteered with an organization called Feather Fist, which works with uh, homeless veterans largely. And what they do is they count, they go out and they, uh, and they count folks and they engage them and they offer them cards and information with resources of shelters and organizations that could potentially help. And I've had conversations with folks on the streets and, and the reality is the conversations that I have uh, are, are largely listening. They're largely asking folks uh, how they got into the situation. And yeah, mm -hmm. at the end of a conversation like that, you can't help but give a few bucks uh, directly. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is these folks are, are there for all sorts of reasons, in large part mental health, but also due to housing, uh, housing costs and job insecurity. So there's a lot of reasons that bring folks to the streets. Judith, uh, in your case, uh, do you have much communication with those who you may see on the street or because you've, you've been generous in giving uh, items for um, helpless or, or homeless shelters, you feel that's enough? You know, I I think this is this is one of those things that like nothing is ever going to be enough. Oh yeah, and, it's not going to be and, solved. Right, and well, it, you know, some of these people actually have jobs. Okay, mm -hmm. um, they can't afford to live anywhere. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that's pretty much the case in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people who just don't have the money for housing in San Francisco. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you have all that much of it here. But you do have some. Um, I have not had that many conversations. Like I said, you know, I, I did this last week. And mm -hmm. so I did have a couple of conversations with people. Um, and now I'm, you know, I'm tuned at least to this group. But I'm going to probably try to do whatever mm -hmm. I can to, to help there. Um, you know, I've tried to work in tutoring programs through Sullivan High School. I mean, mm -hmm. I've tried to do a number of things. Mm -hmm. but, but the... The problems are not solved the way they are, for instance, being solved in San Francisco mm -hmm. or, or even the way they're starting to be solved here, which is basically ignore them. Okay, mm -hmm. Let them set up in the park and ignore them. Mm -hmm. um, don't do anything. I mean, I didn't see anybody from the city in there trying to do anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anybody on any of these encampments trying to do anything. There it, is an issue. There is an issue that's that's arrived uh, in Chicago, and by the way, it's also been uh, dealt with in in Seattle 
and Portland and other major cities around the United States. And this is over a basic need of uh, someone who is homeless or someone who is just out shopping. Mm. They need a place to go to the bathroom. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, there are... Uh, there, there's a move afoot in Chicago mm -hmm. to make public restrooms more available. Now, right. again, there's problems that go with it. You got to keep yeah. it clean. You got to right. make sure the toilet paper's there. But again, a a, a basic indignity mm -hmm. of of a person on the street, I would think, right. would be, you've got to go to the bathroom, and there's no place to go to the bathroom, or someone is not going to let you into their store right. on Michigan Avenue or or yeah. wherever to do it. I mean, look, you're in the park. They have bathrooms in the park. People are taking care of yes. the bathrooms in the park. Oh, well, some are. Some are. I mean, right. well, some are. And some are closed during the winter. Time. And some are That's closed right. during the winter time. Yeah. So somebody needs to figure out maybe to keep those open during yeah. the winter time. Right. It would cost money. There's no yes. question. But you know, I I think most people would not object to paying extra mm -hmm. so that somebody could have yeah. a place to this is really the basic wash this is themselves to go yeah. to the bathroom I mean, human you know, dignity this human is a, dignity. this is an issue of human dignity right. which should have no uh, it should have no party label associated no, with it no it shouldn't Couldn't it agree shouldn't more. but but nobody's looking at the stuff that way <laughs> i mean the, the, and quite frankly, this is true of both the Republicans and the Democrats. The, the Democrats throw money mm -hmm. at some not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was reading the other day that part of the Build Back Better was to give, I don't know, several millions of dollars, maybe a billion, to groups that are going to be anti-violent. They're going to they're yeah. do stuff with anti-violence. Yeah. They're not going to do anything with anti-violence. They're going to get that yeah. money. They're going to use it on their not-for-profit. It's never going to get out into no. the I don't streets. think I don't think that's true. I think, oh. I think we, there are examples of violence, right of violence reduction programs that have worked. <laughs> and scaling them up is an important next step in investing in public safety. But we have we have means to do that without throwing money at some wow. some new group. You know that we don't even know what they're going to do without you know here's here's a billion dollars go see what you can do about violence i mean <coughs> the police the police used to have a connection with children in the neighborhood mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. maybe you could do something to try to help that happen again by funding it sure Sorry? By funding it, right? Well, a, a huge part of the problems that we're talking about tonight are underfunding of, <laughs> yeah. of services that either exist. No, it will. Necessarily have to. You can't it. get away from funding, right? You can't get away from funding, but everything is solved with money. We've thrown so much money at right. this, and where are we? Nowhere. We're we're worse in many ways. We are worse than we were in 1960. I mean, we really are. Mm -hmm. And and I, I mean. There used to be a time when... There used to be a time we'll have to hear about it. <laughs> Some other time. Next year. Okay? Next year. Okay. <laughs> Judith Sherwin has been our Republican. Patrick Hanley has been our Democrat. Thank you very much. Mark Vargas joined us earlier in our broadcast. Thank you very much for being with us. Have yourself a very, very Merry Christmas. We will be back next week. It'll be the 26th, the day after, the night after Christmas. We'll be here. Hope you'll be back as well. And thanks to Frankie Rodriguez for his help in tonight's program. Good night, everybody. Merry Christmas. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.